This morning, I want to speak to you about that. A lot of times when I speak, I, I like to um, start out with uh, some type of funny story or something that has happened uh, in my life and Kelly's and um, had a story that I was going to tell you about me being really stupid and saying something I should have said to Kelly. But I feel like the Lord wants us to be serious this morning. And I feel like what God wants us to hear is many of us are trying to practice Christianity without Jesus. We're trying to be Christians without Christ. And I'm only 36 and there's a lot of people that have more wisdom than me or more understanding than me. But in these 36 years, I've learned that if I'm fully in charge of my marriage, my good is not good enough. I've learned that if I'm fully in charge of what we value so highly in America, our, our money, if I'm really in charge of it, my good is not good enough. If, I, if I'm in charge of my dreams for my life or my life's vision, my good is not good enough. And God spoke to my heart earlier this week. It was either late in the night or early in the morning. And he just began to speak this word in my heart. And I want to speak to you on this one thought today. Your good is not good enough. If you have your Bible, turn me to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, and we're going to look at verses 12 to 14 this morning. John chapter 14, verses 12 to 14. And I want you to hear what Jesus has to say. How many are ready for some good news this morning? All right, John chapter 14, verse 12, 13, and 14. And here's what the word says. This is Jesus, verse number 12. I tell you the truth. Now, he really didn't need to say that because we know if Jesus is speaking, it is the truth. But I think he really wants to drive this point home. I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. How many want to do what Jesus did? Count me in on that. But then he goes a step further. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. And verse 14. You may ask for anything in my name and I will do it. But I want you to look back at verse number 12. There's one phrase. I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me. I want to speak to you on that thought very briefly this morning. Your good is not good enough. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you so much for your word. Father, this is kind of a serious message this morning. But God, it's a serious message because you want to bring life to your people. It's a serious message because you want your people to enjoy blessings and prosperity. You want them to have favor. You don't want them tormented. You don't want them bound, but you love them. Thank you, Lord. And so, Lord, I ask you, Lord, to help me to get out of your way and speak through me this morning. Thank you that my sins are forgiven. And thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so I want to speak to you on this thought this morning. Your good is not good enough. So let's drive that point home. Look at your neighbor and say, your good is not good enough. Baby, 
just in case you love them, somebody is special next to you. Okay, so I wanna look at this morning seven problems that people often face in their lives. And, and I wanna just say seven, time, seven problems that a lot of times church people face. So let's look at the very first one this morning. Number one, very first thing is, and, and these are seven of many we could list. Number one, problems with guilt. God wants you to know your good is not good enough. If you're here this morning and you're struggling with guilt, there is nothing that you can do to get out of it. <laughs> Welcome to Crown Point Church. <laughs> if you're struggling over mistakes you've made, there's no way you can make it right. Your good is not good enough. Unless you give it to Jesus. Look at what uh, Psalm 32.5 says. You don't have to look, turn there or you can if you want. Psalm 32.5 says, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And, and I want you to catch this. And he forgave the guilt of my sin. Now I want you to catch this. God doesn't want to just forgive your sin. Oh man, he wants to do that. Man, God wants to forgive it. He wants to remove it. But I love what Psalm 32.5 says. I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And he forgave the guilt of my sin. God wants to take your guilt away but you are not good enough. Some of you are struggling with a guilty conscience and you can never get rid of it on your own. I will confess my transgressions, Lord, and he forgave the guilt of my sin. So what's the answer? It's right there in your notes. We get rid of a guilty conscience by focusing on what Jesus did on the cross. That's how you get rid of it. You get rid of a guilty conscience by focusing on what Jesus did on the cross. I love this story. There was a man, how many own dogs? Just raise your hand if you own a dog. Lots of people can relate. Okay, so there's this man and he owns this dog and he's got like a, a 20, 25 foot leash. And that dog, if you've ever had those, you know, you, you, you put the leash on them and you tie the stake down. And this dog, you know, how, dogs are smart animals. After five or 10 times at running full speed and that leash stopping him at 20 feet, that dog became trained. He knew exactly how far he could go before the leash would jerk him. Well, one day, the, the owner felt like this dog was so well behaved and so trained that he could take the leash off. He thought the dog was gonna go crazy. So the owner, he took the leash off the dog and he expected the dog just to run all over the yard and play. And the dog ran the 20 feet and stopped. He got a ball and he threw the ball and the dog ran and stopped at the 20 foot line. A cat came along. How many people own cats? Those people have patience. I'm telling you that right now. I should have said how many people are owned by cats is what I should have said. That's the only baggage Kelly brought in our marriage, but that's for another sermon. Okay, so anyway, this cat comes by and this dog went 20 feet, stopped. The dog was free. I want you to get the principle behind this. The dog was free and didn't know it. And that's how many Christians are today. They're free and they don't know it. I want you to understand how powerful the blood of Jesus Christ is. God, this is God's plan. I want you to hear me. God's plan is that once you sin, as soon as you ask God to forgive you, he never wants you to feel one second of guilt after you've asked him to forgive you. Did you hear that? Once you sin, and then you say, God, forgive me. I messed up. I screwed up. Please forgive me, Daddy, in Jesus' name. God doesn't want you to feel any guilt after that. And if you felt any guilt after that, you're out of God's will. So if you're here this morning, 
Your good is not good enough. We overcome guilt by focusing on what Jesus did on the cross. God does not want you to be in guilt. Now let's look at number two. Second problem this morning, problems within your marriage or, or my marriage or anyone's marriage. Your good is not good enough. There is no man that understands the heart of a woman. Can I borrow an amen? <laughs> there are men that have spent years and years at colleges and universities, but women, can I get an amen? Sometimes men can be so clueless. Amen. I'm one of them. <laughs> Let's look at what 2 Peter 3.9 says. Here's what the word says. It's 1 Peter 3.9. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. So, so how do we overcome this issue? Because I'm telling you, Kelly and, and, and I, we love the Lord, but our good is not good enough in our marriage without Jesus. I don't care who you are, your good is not good enough in your marriage. If you're in charge of your marriage, it's doomed to fail. If you're the one who dictates how your marriage is led, it will fail. Here's the point here. We get rid of marriage problems by becoming like Jesus. What's First Timothy, or First Peter 3, 9 say one more time? That we do not repay evil with evil. How many marriages would be blessed if husbands started practicing that? If their wives do something wrong, they don't repay evil for evil. Wouldn't that just be great if your spouse, you know, your spouse loves you, but they made a mistake, and instead of repaying evil with evil, you repaid good for evil? That turned a lot of relationships around. You see, when we start inviting Jesus into our marriage, see, it's one thing to come to church and to say we're Christians and to act like a Christian and talk Christianese. It's another thing when our spouse does something wrong, really mean or stupid, don't anybody say amen. I don't want to, I'm going on vacation. I don't have any time to do pre, any counseling this week. But spouses are capable of saying and doing stupid things. What's the answer? Return good for evil. But you know what? It takes a man or woman of God who's done wrong to not respond with insult. And I just feel like there's some marriages God wants you to say, start returning good when your spouse makes a mistake. When your spouse has had a bad day and says something they shouldn't have said, start returning compliment to insult. Let's look at the third one this morning. So what's the third problem often many times people have? Number three is problems within our families. Oh, oh man. How many are thankful for the church family? There are people in our lives and Kelly and I's lives that we feel are closer than our own blood family. Now everybody has at least one family member that's just kind of out of it. Don't they? I mean we've got that family reunion that we go to and there's that family member we're just trying to avoid. And I don't want to go any further because they might be with you at church this morning. But we all have problems with our families. And if we try to provide for our family or run or lead our family just by ourselves, our good is not good enough. For those of you that are parenting, if you're trying to parent just with the wisdom of man, your good is not good enough. Right there in your notes, we get rid of family issues. Now here's the key, by moving in the love of Jesus. That's how we overcome family issues, by moving in the love of Jesus. 
What's 1 Corinthians 13, 5 say? 1 Corinthians 13, 5 says that love keeps no record of wrongs. What's 1 Corinthians 13, 8 say? That love never fails. So here's what we do. We start getting rid of problems in our family by moving in the love of Jesus. Can I just say something about Pastor Mary and whoever our next youth pastor is gonna be? It is, their, it is not their responsibility to make your kids good Christians. It is their responsibility to add to what you're doing in the home. Don't shut me down, I'm preaching good. So if you're not showing them Jesus in the home, no matter how much we pay our youth pastor, kids pastor, they can't turn around the damage you do if you're not showing them Jesus in your home. Pastor Newby's gonna wonder why attendance is down next week. <laughs> I'll be out of town, so. <laughs> the youth pastor and kids pastor cannot overcome in one hour what they see in your life for 100 hours in the week. If the Lord gives Kelly and I kids, our jobs will be to make them godly, not because I'm a pastor, but because I'm a son of God. And what we have to do as families is we've got to transfer Jesus' love and bring it into the family. We, we can't have a Christian family without Christ. We've got to have that type of love that keeps no record of wrongs. There was a study done in the state of Texas. Anybody want to guess how many prisons are in the state of Texas? This blew my mind. There are at least 140 prisons. It'd be bad if that was in the country. In one state, the state of Texas. They did this study on these prisoners. There's 150 or 140 prisons in Texas, and they did this study. Does anybody want to guess the percentage of prisoners that had relatives or parents that were prisoners as well? 85%. You know what that teaches me? Prisoners beget prisoners. And a lot of times in our families, problems beget other problems. Why don't you break the cycle in your family? Let's break it today. I've said this before. Every person in my family's got divorced. My goal is let's break that cycle in Jesus' name. Kelly's stuck with me for life. Hallelujah. Why don't you? That wasn't a joke. <laughs> you can look at my notes. That was not where I anticipated you laughing. God wants us to break the cycle. So whether you're in a long line of Christians or you're the first Christian, let's start the cycle. Let's break it. But we only break it by bringing Jesus in. You've got to understand that your good is not good enough. Let's look at number four. Fourth problem this morning. <clears throat> you might be wondering, Perry, could you get me a water, brother? You might be wondering, why are we talking about this in church? Because a lot of people struggle with this. The fourth problem is, a lot of times people have problems sleeping at night. You're good is not good enough. I wanna give you the point there, it's right there in your notes. We get rid of sleepless nights, here's the key, by applying the words of Jesus to our situations. That's how we do it. 
So if you're here and there's a situation that's causing you big problems in your life, if there's a situation, it's keeping you from sleeping. If there's something that's, thank you so much, Perry. Give it up for Perry Warledge right here. Woo! We live in the same neighborhood, and I'm not trying to seem spiritual, but I was walking some morning, I get up almost every single morning, go walk outside, and I'm walking and praying, and Perry knew I was walking and praying, and all of a sudden, Perry came up behind me in his car, I almost went to heaven right there on the spot, he did, so I had, okay, that will teach you to come up behind me when I'm praying, okay, now he's going to do something worse, okay, let me get back here, okay. So we get rid of sleepless nights by applying the words of Jesus to our situations. Let me give you a scripture. It's John 14, 1. Here's what the word says. This is what Jesus said. Now, this is really big. You've got to catch what Jesus says here. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. Let's hear that one more time. John 14, 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. There's one big word I want you to spot there, the word let. Jesus is saying we don't have to have our hearts troubled. We let it happen. Pastor Barry Young lets it happen. And, where, and how we overcome sleepless nights is we apply the word of Jesus to that specific situation. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. We would have a lot more joy if we started trusting in God like we do in the news. We would have a whole lot more peace and joy and happiness if we trusted in God like we do in what people say in newspapers. God wants us to look at his word and just say, if God says it, we believe it and that's it. I'm preaching better than your amening, but that's okay. We have to apply this. So let me just give you one quick way to apply it. <laughs> if you're fighting with people, if you ever just met that person, they just caused the worst in you to come out. Well, Proverbs 15:1, a gentle answer turns away wrath. We apply that. Guys, if you're struggling with lust and pornography on the internet, Job 31.1, I've made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully in another woman. You see, we apply God's word to our situation. Let's look at the fifth problem here this morning. The fifth problem oftentimes we face, and man, this is a problem that I struggle with often, is number five, problems with confusion. Your good is not good enough. You know what? If the devil can't keep you from going to church... If the devil can't keep you from reading the Bible, you know what he'll try to do? He'll try to get you confused. How many of you have seen Christians argue over stupid stuff? I have seen Christians argue over whether they should read the King James Version or the NIV. People are dying and going to hell and they're arguing about the Bible. I just want them to read it. I've seen churches split. Well, we, we're not going to sing this music, so we're leaving. We're not singing this, we're leaving. And, and all that time, their neighbors are going straight to the pit of hell, and they're, they're arguing about worship. A lot of times, Christians get confused. Have you ever done that before? <laughs> you just thought you were right, and then right after you did it, you just knew you were wrong? Man. Okay, so... How do we avoid this? Let me give you 2 Timothy 1.7, and it says, for God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. I want you to hear that. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but he's given us a spirit of power, a spirit of love, and he's given us a sound mind. Here's how we get rid of confusion. By finding out Jesus' promise for our circumstance. That's how we get out of it. 
we find out what he has to say, and the confusion's gone. Now, I don't want anybody to tell stories. I did, this is going to sound cliche-ish, but let's, how many of you have been in the car with your spouse, and they re, were lost, and they refused to go to a gas station? Would you just raise your hand? Just be honest. Confession's good for the soul. Okay, many, many hands. You know what we do many times as Christians is we try everything, and then if all else fails, we turn to God. We, we get rid of confusion by bringing what Jesus has to say in the circumstance. Let me give you, a, I came across this story, this blew me away. There were these two basketball players, one was six foot five and one was six foot seven, and they loved the Lord. These guys, they had a passion for God. I just love it when young people are on fire for God. And, and these basketball players, they were gonna go to Kenya, Africa to do some missions work. And they were flying over to London, and then they were gonna catch a flight from London to Kenya. And as they were flying into London, there became a great amount of fog, and the plane was in a holding pattern above London. By the time they landed they missed their flight and they were mad well they had to wait eight hours they're frustrated god we want to get over there god we want to we can't understand why this is having all these problems and we're supposed to be doing your will god we can't understand we're going over to africa to share the gospel and we can't even get over there well they get they get on this plane and all the seats were sold except first class so they thought, well, praise the Lord. At least we're up here in first class. Well, they're up in first class flying to Kenya. That's a true story. All of a sudden, the plane begins to nosedive. And the, the, the cabin people are becoming alarmed. But you know, the nose can only go down for so long until all of a sudden you're going to start getting scared whether you're a believer or not. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Especially when it's not coming in for landing and, and, and the two basketball players, they started to get fearful, and they, they, they said, well, let's pray. And one of them prayed, Lord, we don't know why you've brought us out here to die in a plane crash, but give us your wisdom. And all of a sudden, because they were in first class, they overheard a commotion in the cockpit. They decided to go up there and check it out. They, the, the stewardess opened up the cockpit door, and lo and behold, there was a seven-foot deranged man attacking the pilots. These two men came in there. They apprehended the man. And the pilots were able to, to pull the aircraft up. Had those basketball players been on their time schedule, all those people would have died. And this is where we get confused. We want God on our time schedule. But God knew that six foot five and that six foot seven basketball player needed to be in first class on that flight. And God loved those people so much, he would mess their plans up to save that entire aircraft. And here's what God wants to say to you this morning. Get out of your calendar and get into God's. Let me give you the sixth one this morning. Sixth, uh, sixth uh, problem this morning that people often face. Number six, and we're almost done here. Problems with purpose for your life. I've seen this. I remember when I was a youth pastor and, and Kelly and I had this huge youth ministry and all these kids were coming to us and all these kids want to know what they were supposed to do, where they were supposed to go and how they were supposed to do it. What's the Bible say? Jeremiah 29, 11 says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. One more time, Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. Here's one of the biggest problems not only teenagers face, but adults. Here it is. 
What am I here for, Lord? I got a mortgage, wife and kids, but what am I here for? And God has a great purpose for your life. And God has a great vision for your life. I want you to look right in your notes there. It says this. We get rid of purposeless living by seeking Jesus' true plan for our life. Now, here's what I want you to get. A lot of times, Jesus' plan and man's plan are different. Let me give you this story. Anybody know who Fred Astaire is? In 1932, this is 1932, Fred Astaire, he goes to Hollywood and and he's trying to show off and he goes to this Hollywood talent agency and this talent scout, he he has Fred Astaire uh, perform and here's what he says and I want to quote it directly, I don't want to misquote it. This Hollywood talent scout put this on Fred Astaire's report. Can't act, can't sing, can dance a little. Fred Astaire became the most famous American dancer in history, and he was only in 31 movies. You know what? Man can be wrong. And sometimes we start missing God's purpose. Why don't you catch this? Sometimes we miss God's purpose for our life because we're listening to man. What man has to say has nothing to do with God's purpose for my life or for yours. We receive purpose in life, not by accumulating money or houses. We get our purpose by doing what Jesus wants us to do. So here's what God has me to say to some of you. Start putting Jesus in your plans. Some of you, everyone here, God has a great purpose for your life, but Jesus has got to be the leader of it. Anybody ever seen that bumper sticker, God's my co-pilot? They're lying. <laughs> God's supposed to be the pilot. <laughs> and we're not even supposed to be up there. We're supposed to be in the back seat. <laughs> God has a great purpose for your life. Let's look at number seven as the worship team comes up here to play very softly. Preferably the stand, if that's possible. Let me give you number seven this morning as we close. Okay, so we've talked about problems because see, your good is not good enough. For your plans, your good is not good enough. Nobody here can dream up a plan for your life as big as God's. Nobody here can dream up God's uh, a vision or a journey for your life as big or as great as God's. Nobody here can remove your guilt. Nobody here can create sleep at night. We, our good is not good enough. Let's look at number seven as we close. It's there in your notes. Problems with pain. God says your, your good is not good enough. Look at Psalm 55, 22, and it says this. Psalm 55, 22 says we cast all of our cares upon the Lord because he cares for us. If you're here this morning and you're suffering intense pain because somebody lied to you, Maybe you're here and you're suffering intense pain because somebody committed adultery on you. Maybe you're here and you're in intense pain because somebody stole money from you. Maybe you're here and you're suffering intense pain because you had the opportunity of a lifetime and you blew it. Maybe you're here and you've got intense pain and it's because you messed something up. I don't know. Your good is not good enough. No man, no woman can heal the heart. But Psalm 55, 22 says we cast all of our cares upon him. Let me give you the truth right there. 
It says we get rid of our pain. This is big. We get rid of our pain by transferring it to Jesus. See, uh, uh, people that haven't been healed, they haven't transferred their pain to Jesus. I've seen Christians that they got hurt 10 or 15 years ago and you start talking to them, you ask them about it, boom, they start talking like it's yesterday. Have you ever seen that? And here, here's where the problem was. They didn't make the transfer. They did not transfer their pain to Jesus. There's this story. It's the Chungai Japanese prison internment camp. And it was in World War II. And if any of you know history, uh, the Japanese were very, very cruel to American soldiers. Many times we, we focus on Hitler when it comes to World War II. But the Japanese were very, very cruel to captured American soldiers. And one day they were in this, the Chungai prison camp and, and they counted shovels because they had the prisoners do work. And, and one day they counted all the shovels after work and they were missing one. And all of a sudden the Japanese officer came out and pulled out his gun and said, I will start shooting prisoners one at a time until somebody admits they stole the shovel. Nobody would admit it. He, all of a sudden he got the gun ready and one Scottish soldier, soldier raised his hand and said, I did it. And that man was beaten to death. After the soldier was killed, the Japanese recounted the shovels and there was never one missing. This one man, he transferred all the guilt on him so every soldier could live. Because he knew the Japanese officer was telling the truth. He would just begin to shoot them. And friends, that was, that's what Jesus does for us. The man who died wasn't guilty, and Jesus isn't guilty. But he accepts our pain as his own. He accepts our failure as his own. He accepts our mistakes as his own. Because he loves us, and he wants you this morning. He loves you so much. Transfer your pain to him. Transfer it. So I want to close. That's right there in your notes. How do we live this message out? Because I don't want you just to go to lunch and say, you know, that's an interesting thing that Barry said. No, 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 no. I want you to live this out. Right there at the bottom of your notes. This is how we live it out. Number one, stop making excuses for what's wrong in your life. Stop it. If something's wrong in your life, stop making excuses. Listen, I've had to do that myself. There's been times I've done horrible things. But I've got to just accept responsibility and stop making excuses. Stop making excuses for what's wrong. And bring Jesus into the equation. Let's look at number two. So how do we live this out? Number two, start pushing all negative forces trying to work in our lives out. You got to push them out. What's the Bible say? The violent take it by force. You've got to push it out. The, the devil's attacking you and me every day. The Bible says in John 10, 10, the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. 
But the Bible says, but I've come to that they might have life and have it more abundantly. But you've got to push it out. It's a battle. Ephesians 6.10 says, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. James 4.7 says, submit to the Lord, resist the devil, and he must flee. But that means we submit to God and we resist the devil. And let me give you the last one. It's not in your notes. Put Jesus in your Christianity. Put him in there. I'd like everyone to bow your heads this morning. Man, the presence of God is here. If this is your first time here to Crown Point, I'm not normally this serious. But God just arrested my heart. And God wants you to know your good is not good enough. Your good is not good enough in your marriage. Your good is not good enough in your family. Your good is not good enough in sleepless nights. Your good is not good enough in God's plans and purposes for your life. But once we put Jesus into our hearts and lives, once we say, Jesus, have your way, I'm gonna start acting and talking like you want me to act and talk. I'm gonna start forgiving and loving like you want me to love. I'm gonna start doing what you want. And it's not gonna be a church thing. Lord, it's a lived out thing. So this morning, with every head bowed and every eye closed, God loves you. but a transfer needs to take place. Not only do you need to transfer that pain to Jesus, but you've got to transfer ownership of your life. And I'm not talking about becoming a Christian. There are some people that have become Christians, but they still want to control. So you're here this morning with just every head bowed and every eye closed. And I want to talk to a couple people as we close this morning. Every head bowed and every eye closed. You're here this morning and you say, Barry, I'm here. And I need to receive God's vision for my life. Maybe man has said something to you like said to Fred Astaire. Maybe somebody's put a limit on you. But you just say, Barry, I need God's vision. I need God's vision for my life. I need God's wisdom for his purpose in my life. If that's you, just raise your hand right now. Just raise it up. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Number two, you're here this morning. And, 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 and you just say, Barry... I just need to feel God's grace. You're a Christian. You're saved. But I tell you, the devil wants to make you feel guilty, and that is not God's will. And if you're here this morning, and, and you're just struggling because you feel guilty, God wants you to know you're free. You might not know it, but you're free. And if that's you, would you just raise your hand this morning? God sees those hands. Man, he sees those hands. Thank you, thank you. Lastly, this morning, you're here, and you need to transfer some pain to God. I tell you, sometimes the most godly people get hurt. Sometimes you can be doing everything right and, and still get hurt. God wants you to transfer that to him. Man, you can be reading your Bible, praying every day, telling your friends about Jesus, and man, the devil will just, out of nowhere. You're here this morning, and you're a son or a daughter of God, but there's something that's hurting you. And you just say, Barry, I want to transfer that to Jesus. Man, he's waiting with open arms. If that's you, would you just raise your hand right now? Barry, I need to make a transfer. I need to make a, just raise that up to the Lord. I see those hands. God sees those hands. The last one tonight, or this morning, <laughs> second time I've said that, you're here, and it's the most important transfer. You're not sure if you died, if you go to heaven. I told you that story about the Jungai camp. And just like that Scottish soldier took death and took guilt on behalf 
of, of that entire group, Jesus has taken death and guilt all for us. If you're here this morning and you were to die and you do not know if you'd go to heaven, I want to tell you where you would go. It would be eternal separation from God. If you have never made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, the good news is not that there's not a hell, but the good news is you or I do not have to go there. The good news is that Jesus paid for every sin and mistake we've ever made. The good news is that Jesus just loves us unconditionally and wants to give us eternal life. And you're here this morning and you'd say, Barry, if I died today, I do not know if I would go to heaven. Last Wednesday night, three people raised their hand to receive Jesus. You're here this morning and say, Barry, I want to receive eternal life. I'm not going to embarrass you. Every head is bowed and every eye is closed, except for mine. And that's just so I can pray with you. If that's you this morning, say, Barry, I just want to receive that gift of eternal life. Would you just raise your hand right now? Just raise it up right now. Barry, that's me. Barry, that's me. I receive the gift of eternal life this morning. If you're not sure if you died, if you go to heaven, man, I'm telling you, God wants you to be sure. And if that's you, would you just raise your hand right now? I just want to pray for you. Barry, that's me. Anyone this morning, I don't want to miss anybody. Man, I wouldn't miss this for anything. Anyone this morning. Lord, thank you so much for your sons and for your daughters. And God, we just thank you for your grace and your mercy.